So there are um, plenty of times when, when I preach, and if you've been here, um, you maybe have heard it, but there's plenty of times when I have preached that I've talked about some of the hard aspects of my job. Everyone has hard aspects of, of their job, no matter what you do. There are things that are hard about your job. And there are times where you probably heard me over this past year talk about some of those hardships. Uh, I've talked about just hard parts about being a pastor in ministry. I've talked about some of the hard things of being a pastor during COVID during, in ministry, um, things like that. And you've, all those things are true, but I don't always want to talk to you about things that, that are hard about my job because there are things. Um, I also want to talk to you about the things that I love about my job because those things that I love that are a blessing about the job I have of being the lead pastor of this church um, far outweighs the things that are hard about being a pastor. Um, I have friends that, and you might be this way too, but I have friends that have told me already at 35, 36 that they're counting down the days until retirement. And that's not me. I, I hope I never retire. I hope I'm, I'm here until I die, okay? That's what I hope, okay? So for, for me, when I think about some of the privileges that I have being the lead pastor, here's some of the things I think about. Um, I think about the relationships that I have because of the job that I have. Some of my closest friends um, are because of this church. Some people I've known for a very long time, now I, I'm lucky enough to do ministry with, and some people I've met just this past year that I just get along with and, and love that. And what I've found, especially this past couple years, is it's not forced community. I actually look forward to hanging out with people from this church. We have a men's accountability group, and once a month we go to a social. We either throw axes or we do men's stuff, you know, escape rooms, go to 1623, you know, that's what we do. And, and I, yeah, I know, oh, I know. And I'm terrible, by the way, almost everyone in this room can beat me in throwing axes, I promise you. I am terrible. Ask Tim, I'm bad at it. Anyways, I look, I can't wait. I can't wait to go to those things because it's like, it's not like, oh, I gotta go to my, no, it's like, oh, snap. It's, it's, a, it's a men accountability group, social night. I can't wait to go. So the relations that I've had because of it, the community, I am a person who, um, we moved to Sykesville two years ago now. Um, we've been uh, church for four, almost four years, September, um, and I love Sykesville. I just, I love the, the main street. I love the local town feel, but you still have like everything right there. You know, you still, you feel like you're living in like the farm and a lot of land and that kind of stuff, but you also can go to Walmart right down the street. You know what I'm saying? Um, I love that about Sykesville. I love this community. I love the small town feel. I love that we as a church are part of this community. Um, we know the mayor. The mayor um, likes what we do because we help them with all their events. We know Sykesville Parks and Rec Committee. We, we help with that. I love doing that. I also love Sunday mornings. Um, I don't like getting up for Sunday morning. It's the only day I have to get up early, but um, I don't love getting up for it, but I love being here. For me, being here on a Sunday morning is not a chore. It's not um, an obligation. I enjoy it, and when I'm not here, I wish I was here. It is a privilege and responsibility also for me as a pastor to prepare for today, for my sermon, to prepare what I'm going to preach to you. I understand it's, I'm trying to communicate God's word to you, and it is a responsibility I take seriously. And I also love seeing people serve. I love seeing people come here early, and if you're new here, you don't know this, but we have 20 to 30 people that come here early every single Sunday, set everything up, set all the kids' area up, put all the signs out, and uh, we have people that come and bring, bring food for, those, for that, those teams. Like, I love seeing that, and it inspires me as a pastor to see that. Those are some of the things I love about my job, but my favorite part about being a pastor is seeing the Holy Spirit change people, is seeing people receive faith is seeing people start their relationship with God. It is an honor for me every time that I see people understand the gospel and then respond to it. It's an honor. Understand it as in they understand that 
here we are, sinful people, and there is a holy God, and because we are so sinful, there is a gap that we cannot do anything to reach. We cannot do anything to reach him. So God, loving us, saw, sent his son to pay the price on the cross for our debt that we earned, for the sin that we've done, paid the price, and then three days later rose again to prove that the debt was actually paid for. So now we can have a relationship with that holy God, not because we're any good, but because he is so good that that gap is now bridged. I love when people understand that. And then when they understand it, I love seeing them respond to that. Because I now understand this, I got to change some things about myself. I got to change the direction I'm going. I got to change my thought process. And as a pastor, the only way that I can really see when people have moved from death to life, have, have gone from not having faith to having faith, the only way I can really see that is not by saying, raise your hand if, you've, if you want to give your life to Christ and counting those. The only way I know that people have done that is through this, through baptism. And here's what we believe at Impact Church. Baptism is faith in action. It is a public declaration of what God is doing inside of you. It is you telling the world that you believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Jesus' final command after he was resurrected, um, he makes it very clear what our job is to do from here on out. It's called the Great Commission. You probably know it. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know why all authority? Because when a man says, I'm going to die, but come back to life after the weekend, and he dies and comes back after the weekend, all authority is given to him. Okay, that's how it works. If you ever see, if, if you ever see someone do that, authority is given to him. Jesus says, all authority, because I just raised from the dead. Remember that. Okay, verse 19. Therefore, since I have all the authority, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commanded his disciples, and he commands us, to baptize people. When someone accepts faith, your next step is baptism. To go public with that, your faith in action. And every time I've had the privilege to baptize someone, and every name on this tub, you might not be able to see it, but there's names written on these tubs. Every name represents someone that's been baptized in this tub. For every name and every time I've been able to do it, it is a reflection of what God is doing in our community and in this church. And that's my favorite part about being a pastor. The fact that I am able to help someone respond to the Spirit, because we don't change people, the Holy Spirit does. The fact that I'm able to help someone with that next step as they grow closer to God, as I'm able to see someone go be obedient to Christ by putting their faith in action, by getting baptized. It's a privilege and it's an honor. But here's the hard part you talk about baptism, is that all of us come from different traditions. All of us come from different churches and different family beliefs and different denominations. So it's easy for us to be confused about what exactly baptism is and whether we should or shouldn't get baptized. Some people believe in baptizing infants. Some people don't believe that. Some people think it's necessary for salvation, that you have to get baptized in order to be saved. Some people don't think that. Some people think that you, you can sprinkle, that's fine. Others think it's full submersion or nothing. That's the only way to do it. Some people believe baptism forgives you of all your sins. Some people believe that baptism doesn't cleanse you of your sins, but it's a reflection that your sins have been forgiven. There's different beliefs and things when it comes to baptism. So today, what I want to do is tell you three things that we believe about baptism, three things about what I want you to understand about baptism. Then I'm going to explain whether you know whether you're ready or not to get baptized. Then I'm going to answer 
the questions that we get all the time. Every time someone asks about baptism, there's three questions that people always ask us. So I'm going to answer those questions for you. Here's the three things I want you to know about baptism. Number one, baptism doesn't save you. It does not save you. This is important. Um, every time I talk about baptism, you've been here for a while, I always say something like this. First, I make fun of the fact that this is just a feeding trough. That's all this is. You know that, right? Um, and the reason why it's a feeding trough is because um, when you buy a baptistry from a Christian business, it's $1,000, and this was 200 bucks. So saving you guys money, okay? That's the reason. So this is, um, and the water is just from, like, there's nothing holy about the water we put in there either. It's just the water from that sink right back there. That's what we do, okay? Nothing holy about any of this. And, I'd say, and there's another thing I always say every time I talk about baptism is that you don't get a better slot in heaven because you get baptized. And I'd say that for a couple reasons. I say that to, to address mainly what some of us feel about baptism. That, we, that some of us think that baptism, we have to do it in order for God to save us. We have to do it in order to be forgiven of our sins. That we have to do it so that we can get into heaven. I want to make something perfectly clear. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism does not save you. Baptism does not get you into heaven. That it is not something you have to do in order to spend eternity with God. That's not what it is. You know what saves you? According to Jesus, according to the gospel, according to scripture, it's faith. I'll give you some examples. In chapter 7, verse 50, it says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Matthew 9, 2 says, and they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, sons. Son, your sins are forgiven. In Acts 16, when the church was started, it says this, they said, believe in the Lord. Another word you can use there is have faith in the Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's what you do in response to your faith. It simply reflects what you believe. That is why when you read the Gospels and you read the story of Jesus, Jesus would always heal someone and they give him an action right afterwards. Say, all right, hey, now that I healed you, pick up your mat and walk. Hey, now that I, I, I cured your blindness, wash it off of your face. Hey, now, now go show them. There was always an action attached to it. Their action didn't heal them. It was Jesus. But the action reflects what they believe. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is your faith in action. It is the action that we have that we take to show the faith that we believe in. That's number one. Number two, baptism is an act of obedience. Noah, my son, who just turned four yesterday, is super into Legos. That's his favorite toy. Um, he doesn't really know how to make them yet. Normally we get those Duplos, and he can kind of use those. But, um, he's starting to get into the ones that are insanely expensive for some reason. Um, now I know why I never had Legos when I was a kid. My parents were like, these are too expensive. You're not getting into this, okay? Get into something else. But Noah gets all these, all these Legos, and um, he's into Batman, and so it's always like some kind of Batman car. Remember the first time he got his Legos, he wanted me to build it. And I said, yeah, I can build that for you, son, no problem. And I got it, and I opened the instruction book. I was like, this is way too long. I can figure this out by myself, no problem. So I put the box up. You know how you do a puzzle? I put the box up. I was like, all right, they put that there, and I did it. I was done. I was like, yeah, it looks pretty close. And then I had all these pieces left. I was like, these are probably extra. <laughs> they probably don't need them or anything. And I gave it to Noah. I said, here's your toy, son. He said, thanks, Dad. He took it, and the second he set it down, it went and crumbled everywhere. 
because I didn't do it right, right? They give you those instructions, and it seems tedious, but they give it to you so you can follow those instructions, and from there you can learn how to put them together. When you follow the instructions, you will finish those Legos correctly. If there was a step-by-step -step guide to how to follow Jesus, most of the steps would be completely unique to you. They'd be completely unique. But there are two steps that I know happen in this order, two steps that I would tell everybody. There might be some steps that get you to this, but step one is you follow him. You could say you believe in him, you have faith in him, you repent. All those things are part of following him, surrendering him. And then the next step is baptism. That's not just for some of us, for all of us. You believe, you get baptized. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Peter replied in Acts 2:38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Galatians 3 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. Again, there's that faith word. For all of you who were baptized into Christ has clothed yourself with Christ. Acts 19.5 says, On hearing this, as in they heard it, they responded to it, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the question you need to ask yourself is, are you willing to come to God on his terms? That's the question. Are you willing to come to God on his terms? Because his terms are pretty clear. Repent, then get baptized. Terms are pretty clear. And after you receive the grace, after you follow him, after you start believing in him and repent, you need to show that faith through baptism. Number three, baptism identifies us with Christ and the church. Um, as a pastor, I officiate a good amount of weddings. Um, and at this point, most of the weddings that I officiate are people that I know. In fact, this past Friday, we just officiated Jake and Lily. Where are they? They're sitting right there. Jake and Lily, who just got, who just got married two days ago. Congratulations, guys. And they're here in church. So, hey, all of you guys take vacations all the time. Look, they're here in church two days later. Anyways, um, um, so I officiate a good amount of weddings. And there was a season before Impact Church started. And um, the, a year before that, I left the, the job I was at. So I had a year of getting ready to plant this church. And out of that year, five of those months, I wasn't getting paid anything. So um, I would take any efficient gigs that I could get in order to, because I needed some kind of money. So I'd find people that wanted a pastor but didn't have a pastor they wanted um, to, to officiate, so I would officiate their weddings. And I, would, I did probably like eight or nine weddings for people that I'd never met before that first initial meeting, so never met. Um, and so we do those weddings. I do premarital counseling. I tell them pretty clearly, hey, here's what, um, here's what I believe, and here's what I believe about, about, um, about weddings and, and ceremonies. And so if you don't believe this, then I'm not the guy for you. So I would do those weddings. And then after a while, um, when, when I get to the ceremony, they always invite myself and my wife to the reception, which is nice. It's the thing you're supposed to do. But here's the thing when you invite me, someone you've never met before this, and you probably won't see much after, um, you invite us, and uh, you don't know where to sit us because we know no one. The only people we know, the only people I know is the people that I'm marrying. The only person Erica knows, my wife, is me. That's the only person she knows. So if you've been married, you know you always have that table, like the people that didn't really, like barely made the cut, like at your C-list table. You know, yeah, you know those people? So if you're like, do weddings do that? You might be on that table every time, maybe. So I'm always on, at that table. And I'm like, oh, how do you know the couple? And they're like, oh, I'm a cousin of a cousin of a cousin. Like, oh, why are you here? You're never going to see them again. So I sit at this table, and because they don't know where to put me in, so they sit me there. And every time in those situations, with a bunch of strangers, I don't know any of them, the first thing I do, and the first thing Erica does, 
is we identify ourselves. Basically say, hey, my name's Eric. This is Erica. Oh, Eric and Erica, huh? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we get that every time we introduce ourselves. Okay. And then, we, and then we'll ask them questions, and hopefully they'll ask us questions. Hey, so what do you do for a living? Hey, where do you live? Hey, you know the couple? And they ask the same thing. What do you do? And all that kind of stuff. And the reason why we do that, the reason why we ask those questions, and, and I respond, is because I am identifying myself, and they are identifying themselves. That's what we're doing. I am telling them, here's who I am, here's who my wife is, here's who we are as a family, and they're doing the same thing back. The reason that we baptize people the way that we do, submersion, as in you dunk them, most of the time we do, we don't do it every single time that way. If you're in a hospital bed and want to get baptized, we believe that we can baptize you with a bottle of water and it works the same way. I'm not going to say, hey, sorry, you got to get out of this bed and go get submerged somewhere. No, we'll do it that way. But most of the time, we do it this way. We submerge. The reason why we do that and we, and we think that's important is because of what it symbolizes. We are identifying ourselves with Christ and we are symbolically dying to ourselves and being raised again. That's what we believe. That's why we do it that way. Being baptized symbolizes what Christ did. Christ died for all of us, so we are called to die to ourselves with him. And when we go down, we are symbolizing that we are dying just the way Christ did, but then we come back up. Because he rose again, it symbolizes that we die to ourselves and we are made new in him. Here's what Romans 6, 3-4 says, Or don't you know... That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when we are baptized, we are telling the world that we identify ourselves as someone who follows Christ. We identify ourselves as a follower of him. And when we are a follower of him, we also identify as being part of the church. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be baptized and be part of a local church. In fact, if you go to a church and they say, well, if you want to be a, a member here, you have to be baptized, I would say don't go to that church, okay? Because that's not anywhere in, in Scripture. It means that we are now part of the big body of Christ, the church, as in everyone who is a follower of Christ. We are identifying ourselves as both of those. Bapti baptism identifies us. And now that I've explained to you a little bit about what, about what baptism is, the question I have for you is, how do you know if baptism is your next step? How do you know if you're ready to be baptized? If you've never been baptized before, or maybe you were baptized a really long time ago, how do you know whether you're ready to be baptized? I have two questions for you to ask yourself. Have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Question number one, have you trusted Jesus with, with salvation? Because no one should get baptized out of guilt. No one should get baptized out of peer pressure. No one should get baptized because their friends are doing it, so I guess I need to do it. Two, there's a reason why you will never see us do a surprise baptism. You'll never see us go, okay, now in order to respond, you can come up here and get baptized right now. We're never going to do it. And here's why. I want you to think about it. I don't want you to do it because you got a feeling that day and then did it. I want that to be something you think about. There's a reason why we won't do that. So I want you to ask yourself, have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Have you put your trust in him? That's the first question. The second question, are you willing to go God's way now? This is an important question. Don't ask yourself, are you willing to be perfect now? Because you never will be. Don't ask yourself, are you willing to never mess up again? Because you never, you'll never get to that point. No, are you willing to say, God, whatever you say is what I'm going to do. Whatever you say. I know I won't get it right every time. I know I'm going to mess up a lot. And I know that I'm going to need a lot of that forgiveness that you give out. But I'm willing to go the way you tell me. I'm willing to be obedient to you. Every time we baptize people, we ask one question. Are you willing to confess in front of everybody that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior? We ask both. We don't just ask about Savior. 
Because anyone could say, yeah, he's my savior, because you can't save yourself. You need someone else to do that. But is he also, are you also willing to say, he's also my Lord, as in, he's, I'm obedient to him. He's my king. He says I go this direction, I'm going to go that direction. Are you willing to say, he's your Lord and your Savior? So ask yourself, have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Are you willing to go God's way now? If the answer is yes to both, and you have not been baptized yet, your next step is baptism. Plain and simple. There's no, you don't have to think about it, you don't have to pray about it, that's your next step. We always say, well, let me pray about it. It's your next step. It's clear. I don't need to pray whether I should cheat on my wife or not. I don't need to pray about that. It's like, no, shouldn't do that. Listen, your next step, according to Scripture, after you repent, is to be baptized. And if your answer is yes to both, you've never done it, your next step is baptism. Now, every time we talk about this, I'm going to close with this stuff. We, ask, we get asked a bunch of questions, and I love answering your questions. If when I'm done here today, you want to come ask me some questions, then feel free to do that. Um, but there's always three questions that we get almost every time I talk about it or every time we do ownership class, people ask about this. Here's the, the three most popular questions, and I'll just answer them for you. They might be your questions. Um, here's the first question. I was baptized as a baby. Should I get baptized? We get that question all the time, all the time. And the simple answer, I'll explain it, but the simple answer is yes, you should. See, for baptism in Scripture is your next step after salvation, after salvation. So I believe if you're baptized as a baby, that's great, but you also need to get baptized now. Let me tell you a little bit about the tradition of infant baptism. Um, there's really no clear instance of infant baptism in Scripture. You could argue that Abraham, with the Old Covenant, um, did infant baptism, um, but it's not recorded in Scripture. We don't really know that. But most scholars believe that infant baptism started, uh, began around 400 years after Jesus' resurrection by Augustine. Uh, back then, the infant mortality rate was about 50%. So half the babies that were born did not make it to their second birthday. So they would read these commands, repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized. And they would look at these babies like, well, half these babies are dying. So we, because we hold such a high view on baptism, we really should baptize these babies now. And that's where most scholars believe that infant baptism started. It showed a very high view of baptism, which is great, but it ignored the faith aspect part. Then the pendulum swung in the 16th century during the Reformation when people like John Calvin and Martin Luther said, no, it's, it's about faith, it's about faith. So they neglected some of the biblical actions of baptism, and here we are now. Um, we at Impact Church are not anti-infant baptism. In fact, we, we could do it. It's, it's something that we could do. Um, there's a whole thing when it comes to provenient grace. That's a whole other sermon I can give you um, that, that talks about that. But here's, why, here's what we truly believe about infant baptism. We believe that it's a very important, it's a very important sacrament and ritual for your parents, but not as much for you. That's why we do things like baby dedications instead of infant baptisms. Because we believe that baptism is faith in action. We believe that the faith must be there first in order to have the action. So if you've been baptized as an infant, I believe you need to do it again. Now the pushback I always get from this, and I completely understand this pushback is, yeah, but what would my parents think? I understand that pushback. Um, and here's what I normally say when you talk to your parents about that. And I found that this most of the time articulates it well. I don't look at a baptism as an adult as a way of saying to your parents back then, like, hey, what you did there was wrong. I don't see it as that. I see it as an affirmation and a confirmation and the fact that what they did back then led you to this step. Let me tell you the story of my wife. Um, my wife, Erica, was um, raised Catholic, and um, the second she turned 18, she decided she did not want to go to church anymore. And she was 18, so her parents said, hey, time to go to church. She said, nope, you can't make me. I'm an adult now, so I'm not going to go. That's what happened. So the second she was 18, she decided she did not want to be 
Catholic anymore. She didn't want to go to church. And then she went and did um, her own thing. She went to Towson, and she met a friend of hers, um, that, or a future roommate who was a born-again Christian. She, I actually went to youth group with her, um, and she started kind of planting the seeds a little bit about faith. And then eventually um, we met, and um, we started dating. And um, I guess that would be called missionary dating. I don't know if you know that. But anyways, um, uh, easy, easy to make her saved and cute. So that's what, that was my idea. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I remember I met her, and um, eventually I was preaching at a youth group, and uh, she uh, gave her life to Christ. She raised her hand. I had a response, and she gave her life to Christ. Um, and I didn't see it. And so we went home, um, or we were still dating at the time, so uh, we were just driving back where we were, were going. And she was waiting for me to say something to her because she had given her life to Christ. And I, after I, I gave a response, I said, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. And um, I didn't see her hand. And so she's waiting for me to say something. And I just like, so what do you want to eat? And she's like, are you ever going to say anything about the fact that I just gave my life to Christ? And you didn't, I was like, you did? And so, um, so she knew her next step was to get baptized. But she was a little worried because she was baptized as a baby and her parents are, are Catholic. What are my parents going to think about it? So she went and talked to them. And her parents at first didn't fully understand it, but she said, hey, the reason why I want to get baptized is because I want to affirm what you started in my life a long time ago. And now that I'm an adult and I'm making my own decision, I am making that decision to follow Christ. And I want to show that. So here's a picture of uh, my wife getting baptized. Um, I like this picture for a bunch of reasons. One, I have a so much less gray hair in this picture. But this pool um, is my parents' pool. This is the pool that I got baptized in. And this is the pool that my grandfather got baptized in the same day as me. So this is a very special uh, someone at family service said, that's a holy pool right there. I said, yeah, I know it is. So she went public with her faith. Even though she was baptized as a baby, she went public with her faith. And her parents see it as an affirmation of what they did, not as something saying, we don't like your tradition. So should you get baptized if you were baptized as a baby? I believe you should. Here's the next thing we always get. If I get baptized, do I have to stop blank? Get that a lot. Do I have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Do I have to move out? Do I have um, to stop? doing whatever it is. Do I have to stop cussing? Do I have to stop drinking? Do I have to stop all this stuff? We get that question a lot. Um, Peter's message uh, the day after the church was established was repent and get baptized. Repentance is uh, changing your mind. It's changing your direction. It's changing the course you're going in. And so here's what it's like, and I've heard this analogy from so many different pastors, and this analogy works perfectly um, when I hear this question. Um, here's normally what, what it sounds like to me. Let's say you're about to um, propose to somebody and get down on your knee, propose, will you marry me? And that person says, yes, but do I have to stop dating other people? Do, do I have to stop playing so many video games? I'll say yes. I just need to hear this. Do, do I have to stop um, spending all the money on myself? Do we have to now share that? Do I have to stop? If, if that is your response when you propose, my advice for you is don't, don't get married, okay? Leave that, okay? Because that person is not ready. So if this is your question, I'm glad that is your question. I'm glad you are figuring things out, but you're just not ready. And that's completely fine. That's why we say, are you willing to have Jesus be your Lord and Savior? Lord is in, I'm not going to follow that way. So if we're thinking, well, what, what sin can I still keep doing while I follow you? Then we're not ready. We're not in the right mindset. And there have been people that have come that have said, hey, when you get baptized and and we've asked these questions, and we've said, hey, you're just not ready, and that's fine. We will be ready when you're ready. You are on a journey of faith. I get it. I want you to keep looking at that. So if this is your question, I would say, no, you should not get baptized yet. And the last question, 
what if I'm not good enough to get baptized? I hear this question all the time. Here's the problem. I, I still struggle with this stuff. I'm just not, don't know if I'm good enough yet. I want to follow God, but I keep messing up. I, I'm not good enough to be a Christian, and I'm trying, but what if I'm not good enough to get baptized? And I understand how you feel. And here's what I would say to you. You are definitely ready. If this is your mindset, then you get it. You understand what grace is. You understand what forgiveness is. There's a story uh, in Scripture that Jesus tells of a Pharisee and a sinner. The Pharisee is um, at the temple, and he is praying. And basically, his prayer is, God, I'm thanking you so much for how good I am. I am showing your goodness by the way I act. I am so awesome. Thank you for making me so awesome. Then there's a sinner. It's in the back that is just thinking about all the things they've done wrong, all the things they're doing. And they, he just come, the sinner comes and says, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. It says that he's beaten his chest. It's a way of just being like in torment. I am a sinner. I am so broken. Please forgive me. And Jesus says, the sinner, not the Pharisee, you will see my kingdom. He gets it. So what if I'm not good enough to get baptized? You're ready to get baptized. Um, the question we ask in, in um, family service and that I'll ask you is, the question I, I like to ask is, who is the worst sinner you know? You know what the answer is? I am. You are. I am. I'm the worst sinner that I know. That means you understand your need for a Savior and your need for a Lord. You are ready to get baptized. I want to tell uh, one more story of a guy named Jason. Jason uh, was at Mountain Manor Treatment Center. Um, he is, uh, um, we do, every Tuesday, we do a Bible study there. Lisa's in the back and, and Tyler's over there. There's a Bible study for people that are in recovery. And um, Jason showed interest in being baptized. And that's another reason why we bought this. We could take this over there. And um, I met with him and he was telling me his story. And here's what he told me. He said, um, he had some questions about baptism. This was his big thing. I don't know if I'm good enough because um, my daughter and my wife were killed by a drunk driver. And I know where that drunk driver lives, and I've thought a lot about doing stuff to that drunk driver. I haven't done it. I've got really into addiction. I eventually went to jail for a lot of different things. When I got out, I started dating somebody, and we were in love. And we were clean for a long time. Then it was my idea to use again. So hey, it's been a while, let's do it. And we used again, the person that he was dating OD'd and died. And he blamed himself. And he said to me, can God forgive that? Because I can't. And then I remember when he stood up there to get baptized, there's actually a picture, we can't show you a picture of him. I remember what he said, and I don't know, Lisa, if you remember this, he said, I know Jesus has forgiven me, so I'm going to forgive myself. So, if you feel like you're not good enough, you're ready. So, all that to say, we want to make it as easy as possible for you to get baptized. We will really do it anytime you want. Anytime you want to get baptized, we, we, will, we will baptize you. We'll bring this out any Sunday you, you want us to do it. But we do know that Sometimes it's a little intimidating to do it by yourself, to be up here because you're going to be up here, you're going to stalk in front of people, then get baptized. So 
on May 15th, we're going to have a baptism service. I know there are people here that this is their next step. I know it. I know there are people that are ready for this next step. If you're not sure, you can talk to me, any of the host team, about it. But on May 15th, to be our next baptism service. And for those of you in this room that are thinking about it, this is your opportunity. Don't feel pressured. Don't feel guilted. But if you know this is your next step, this is an opportunity to do so. This Tuesday, we're going to be taking this baptism to the Mount Manor Treatment Center and baptizing 10 people there. 10. Last thing I'm going to say to everyone else in this room who's already been baptized, you know it's not your next step. And you're hearing the sermon, you're like, yeah, I get it. I, I, I've heard all this a lot. I want to I say something to you. We set up this baptism in the hallway every single week. We do it for two reasons. One, if you're new here and, and, and you've given your life to Christ and you want to get baptized, this is a constant reminder that it's ready whenever you are. But we also do this so that you can see every name on here. Because for you that consider this your church home, for you that serve in this church, for you that commit to this church, for you that give this church. These names aren't on there because of me or because of Rob or any other staff or any other leaders. These names are on there because of you. When you take ownership in this church, you are part of this. When you're upstairs serving in the kids' environment, you make an environment that makes it easy for people to come and stay because their kids want to keep coming. So they're like, well, I guess I got to keep coming if my kids like it. And they keep coming. Then they hear about Jesus and they make, take the next step of baptism and get baptized. It's because of you. You're part of this. So I want to remind you, on May 15th, when we baptize whoever we baptize, and on Tuesday, when we baptize 10 people, that success is because of you. We are simply allowing the Spirit to move in people and giving them the opportunity to take the next step. We don't change them. We don't change people. We are simply allowing people to respond to God. So as I pray, the worship team, you can start coming on up. I want to pray for the people in this room that this is their next step. I'm going to encourage you to take that next step. You can sign up with the host team. Come talk to me after service. We want to help you with that next step you have. Baptism is your faith in action. It doesn't save you. Nothing special about the water. It's simply a way to reflect that you now identify as a follower of Christ. That you are dead. You died yourself. And you are new again. You're not perfect. You're, not, you're going to keep making mistakes, but you are forgiven Christ simply because you put your faith in him. Let's pray. Dear God, just thank you for being the God who comes after us, being the God who came for us, that when we could not save ourselves, you sent your son to save us, to forgive us, to give us a better way to live. And dear God, I just pray today for the people in this room that have accepted that grace, that have accepted you, your son, that have not taken that next step yet, I pray that you give them the courage to do so, to go public with their faith through baptism, to tell the world who they identify as, follower of you. Thank you for being the God that changes us, that moves us, that gives us a new identity, that helps us die to our sinful self so we can be new and you. Thank you for being the God who loves us. In your son's name, amen. Let's sing, let's sing this closing song.